Listening is cool and all, but watching gives you so much more. See the players' real-time reactions, flub-ups, and all the snark that intern Alan Smithy can dole out on the running commentary, only at Balderdash Academy's YouTube channel. The following podcast was recorded during the coronavirus pandemic. Audio qualities may vary among performers. Special guest, stand-up comic Tuck Tucker deflects an uncomfortable memory in this episode of Balderdash Academy. Hello and welcome to Balderdash Academy. I'm your headmaster, Bob LeBlanc. Joining me, as always, is our faculty, the head of Home Ec and Wellness, Professor Marie Stewart Harmon. Hello, everybody. Head of Guidance, Mr. Nate Green. Thank you. Thank you. Calm down. <laughs> coach of the Balderdash Academy Dashers, Coach Steve Corning. Let's go, Dashers. Head of English Language Arts, Professor Molly McGill. Greetings, everyone. Our visiting professor today is Tuck Tucker, stand-up comic and improviser with Running With Scissors and the Chamber of Comedy. Tuck, welcome to Balderdash Academy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Tuck is a stand-up comic. Um, You are an improviser. You are a general all-around entertainer. What got you into comedy? Ooh, well, so comedy, I feel like it starts with family. I thought my, actually, I thought my father was hilarious. Um, And so I loved his sense of humor. And then there was a show, um, uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? The British version. And I absolutely fell in love with improv. And I took an improv workshop. Uh, in Portland, and then slowly got into a group, um, Instant Comedy, which I was in for several years, um, and then worked in and out of the um, Comedy Connection for a while with their improv group, and started my own Running With Scissors, which is still going and has been going for about 15 years. Um, But yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Also took a stand-up workshop class. So for me, it always started with a class, um, working my my way in slowly into shows and meeting uh, people in the comedy community as all of you um, have become close friends in the comedy community. And um, it's been a blast. It's been a lot of fun. So how long ago did you start? Um, Improv, well, probably 20, 22, 23 years ago. Stand up is probably close to 16 years now. So So improv came first. Improv did come first. Yeah. Improv. I never even thought about doing stand-up. The skill sets really are quite different. What I find is improv really helps with stand-up. I also feel like improv helps just in general in life because you're always yes anding, you're agreeing. And I believe that that can open up doors in life. If you're agreeing and you're moving forward, um, it generates. I don't find that stand-up necessarily helps my improv. <laughs> it's just, I don't know why, it just doesn't. And stand-up is more of a, it's, it's more of like a skill where you have to hone it, you have to craft it, you have to work on your material, you have to get up in front of people, you have to try and try again. 
improv, your whole goal is to make the other improver look good. And there's something beautiful about that. Because if you have three or four people on stage and your whole goal is to make them look good um, and develop that scene, um, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Um, I would rather, but I would rather bomb at stand-up than bomb at improv. Interesting. I think, yeah, I think bad improv is one of the worst things you can see in life. Bad, <laughs> a bad, watching a bad stand-up bomb can actually be kind of fun. Right. That's, yeah. As a stand-up, it's kind of fun to see people bomb on stage. Um, as an so, improver, when I'm seeing bad improv, I'm like, this is why people make fun of improv. Um, you know? So, true. Uh, I, I've heard that every stand-up has a set where they just bomb. Can, is there one that stands out for you? Yes, there's several. <laughs> you want to relive it? <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, but Thanks, here's mate. the thing. Here's the th here's the thing about stand up is that when you start, all you're going to do is bomb. I bombed with ma the material I think is my A material right now. I even bombed with. Because it's when you're doing stand-up, it's not so much the material, it's your delivery. Mm. So what you're doing is you're learning your delivery, learning how to tell that joke, deliver it in a funny way. And it doesn't matter if it's the best material or the worst material in the world. If you don't know how to deliver it, you're mm. going to bomb. So your first couple years of stand-up, all you're doing is bombing and mm. bombing and bombing. And slowly it gets better. Slowly you get to laugh. Slowly you learn to string your bits together. And then before you know it, you have a five minute set, you have a 10 minute set, you have a 20 minute set, and you're off and running. There's like, so you have this rhythm when you're performing stand up, but it often gets disrupted by hecklers, right? Yeah. Um, something I find very impressive is the way that stand up comedians can like work that in, address it, and then yeah. toss it out. Do you have any advice or stories of when somebody has heckled you? Yeah. So, um, no, not that one. Heckling, <laughs> heckling is part of the stand-up business. So, but again, like I said, it's a skill to learn how to deal with hecklers. Mm -hmm. One mistake that a rookie stand-up will do is they'll say, does anybody here have a dog? Or, hey, has anybody ever done this? What you're doing is you're asking the audience a question. And when you ask somebody a question, you better be ready for a response. And that's the trap that a lot of young stand-ups get in is that they start their bit or their joke with a question and then people start chiming in and then they don't know how to handle it yeah. because dealing with a heckler or someone that's talking to you on stage is another skill set. So it took me probably two years before I felt comfortable um, working the crowd, as we call it in stand-up. And now I actually love it and i will i will reach out to the audience and say where are you from what's your name are you two a couple are you two together and you can actually you know your your set becomes fuller more robust because of that you're dealing with all that and it's kind of like people like to see the crowd work a lot of times mm. um, so how much of the background of that crowd work came from your experience in improv a lot so that's, that's one part of stand-up where improv really helped me because I was able to transition talk, talking with the crowd and being sharp-witted and thinking on my feet 
very easily, where a lot of stand-ups that don't have that improv background, they didn't really know how to deal with people, talk with them, maybe even yes anding when you're doing stand-up. Um, and what a lot, again, like what a lot of comics will do is they'll attack. I'm going to rip the, I'm going to, if someone's talking to me or heckler, you want to attack them, try to shut them up because it's making you uncomfortable. What I find the best thing to do is engage them. And if someone's heckling you or talking to you, engage them, find out something about them, and then use that to move on to a next bit or make something funny about it. But it's it really depends on what you're like in real life is your character on stage too. I don't attack people in real life. I try not to be mean to people in real life. So I'm not going to be on stage as a stand-up and attack people and try to rip people apart. It's just not uh, part of my nature. So how much of your stand-up Shut persona up, is you or a character? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's that? I'm saying that again? <laughs> how much of your uh, stand-up is a character versus being yourself? Uh or is it all you? It's probably no. It's probably fifty-fifty. There's definitely a character that you develop as a stand-up, um, and so my character on stage is high energy, um, a little goofy, self-deprecating, um, and I try to be real physical on stage just because I love that. I, I like to try to fill the room um, with energy, and that's kind of my character. Um, so off stage, when people meet me, like after a show. I'm the worst. I don't, I'm like, I don't want to talk with people. Not that I, not that I don't like them. It's just like, I don't know if they like the show. I don't, I'm like, I feel awkward trying to talk to the crowd after a show. Um, other comics love it. They'll sit and gab with people for an hour after a show. Me, I almost like want to go back to the green room and hide. But on stage, yeah. I'm totally different. I'll talk to everybody in the room. I'll ask you a million questions. It's, it's, that's where the difference is between who I am on stage and off. I'm just a little more shy and reserved off the stage. On stage, let it go. It doesn't matter. Be crazy. I feel like maybe is why I like it because that's part of the, the fun of it. Mm. Right. I feel like self-deprecation is inherent in all stand-up. <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, for people sure. And people hate themselves. Well, self-deprecation, <laughs> self-deprecation is better than self-defecation. So, yeah, which yeah. I have not done on yeah. stage yet. I, I tried it once. Not very funny. Yeah, don't knock it till you try it. So, okay. Some people, Steve, it didn't work for you. It was a miracle worker for me. It was some oh, of the wow. best work I've ever done. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Thanks, Nate. Glad you missed it. <laughs> um, well, I've been listening. To I'd like to give Steve Corning. Um, Two points for this. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. I'm on the board. Two for Steve. God, you're in the lead, buddy. I can nope. get points at any time, right? Yeah, yeah, you can. Anytime for any reason. <laughs> well, I've been listening to a lot of women in stand-up uh, when I go running. And um, so, you know, everybody has their favorites. So who is Let me like, ask you a question. What? Can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you find that the female comics that you're listening to are excessively dirty? Some of them, definitely. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of like a, a niche for the female comics. Mm. Yeah. That's, I feel like 
for female comics, it's always been hard for them to kind of break into because it's almost like a good old boys club. Yeah. And I think it's been that way for years. I think it's changing because there are amazing female comics now. And I think it has changed a lot. But I think even when I started 15 years ago, it was really hard. Even the clubs I played, there weren't a lot of female headliners. And now there's a ton of them. But I think 15 years ago, for them to kind of be recognized, they had to be really dirty. Mm -hmm. um, and But I don't think that's the case as much anymore. I think it's changing. Now, how much of that do you think is the old boys club or how much of that do you think is the, there's a persistent myth that I hear in comedy that women aren't funny. And we know that's a myth. We know that's complete BS. Yeah. Um, but how much of that do you think it's that type of perception? I, th I don't think so anymore. Maybe an older generation thought that. I don't think the generation that's doing comedy now or the younger generation coming up, Good. I honestly, I don't think that that they see it that way anymore. If you're funny, you're funny. And if you're a dirty comic, you're a clean comic, you're a prop comic. It doesn't matter. You're female, you're male, transgender, yeah. fluid, whatever. If you're funny, funny is funny. Yeah. Um, and that's what matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, you know, you, when you said, when you're funny, you're funny. What about regional comedy? Like, uh, regional comedy. Like, I've seen Bob Marley is a main comic, but I've seen him on Comedy Central change his jokes a bit, so that way yep. it reached the broader audience. Do you find that, you know, and, and you do a lot of traveling for your job, do you find that um, you have to change jokes depending upon where you are? No, I don't, because I don't, do and I actually consciously try to avoid writing a lot of jokes about Maine or New England, and part of it is for that. Um, and, but part of it is like it's like okay, if I write this joke about Moxie, who, where can I do it? Hmm. So if I need if I need to do if I need to headline in New Hampshire, I need to headline in New York or further out. I can't do that joke. So I really try to write, I try to write jokes about, you know, job, relationships, friends, just things like that, sports, whatever else. Um, everybody I, I, can relate to. Yeah, I try, I try to stay away from the regional stuff if I can. But sometimes, sometimes the jokes are just there to be plucked and you got to take it, you know. So I do have, I do have a handful of main stuff. I have a handful of um but it's it's a really low percentage of my joke. You know. Do you have any pre-show superstitions, uh, whether in improv or stand-up, like something ritual or superstition that you have to do, like favorite pair of boxers, like <laughs> or briefs? No, I personally I don't. The only thing that I make sure I do, I I write out my set list um, the the night before, a couple days before, depending on how much time I do. And I run it over and over in my head for two days um, before the show to make sure that I know the lineup. And then the other thing I don't do, I don't have a drink. I don't do any drugs or anything before a show. I know a lot of comics that have to have a drink, that have to smoke some weed, that have to do something. And that is their kind of tradition or whatever to get into the show. Um, I try to drink once before a show 
it was a disaster. And I mean, it was like one, it was one beer. And I was like, I can't do it. I'm off. Things, I, just felt, I felt fuzzy. And yeah. so, um, but I know, I know a comic that he puts an MH on his hand before every show. And that's for Mitch Hedberg, who was his idol. So, yeah. you know, there's little thing, a lot of comics yeah. have those superstitions and little things that they do. A lot of comics will wear the same type of shirt, like it might be a Hawaiian shirt, or they wear a hat, certain hat, and that's kind of their thing. Um, so there's, you know, there's, yeah, those are out there. Balderdash Academy was created by Bob LeBlanc and Steve Corning. With writing by Steve Corning, Nate Green, Bob LeBlanc, Molly McGill, and Marie Stewart Harmon. Find us online at balderdashacademy.com. Copyright 2020 by Robert J. LeBlanc and Steve Corning. All rights reserved. Go Dashers! Loving what you're hearing? Now imagine if you could actually see Molly's point-winning angry face, Marie's up-close-and-personal lean-in, Nate's... Where is he now? Is he in the bathroom still? Steve's coveted sweatband and Bob's juggling of all things tech. Yeah, it gets pretty wild. See all this and more by catching episodes on Balderdash Academy's YouTube channel.